The scripture for today's sermon is Matthew 1, 18 through 25. The word of God speaks to us. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of God to us. Thanks, Taylor. Good morning, guys. Oh, we can do better than that. Good morning, guys. Uh, that was fun. The second one's always real aggressive, you know? Hey, I'm glad you guys are here. My name is Chad Kinser. I serve as one of our pastors. And uh, if you've got a Bible, open to the passage that was just read in Matthew chapter 1. That's where we're going to be today. Um, as, uh, as Josh mentioned, we're wrapping up Advent here at the final Sunday of Advent. And uh, even as Brian explored in his uh, intercession, we're covering the theme of love. Um, but also doing that from this passage that was just read in Matthew chapter 1. So that's what we're going to be doing today uh, as, we, uh, as we look toward uh, Christmas morning and this final Sunday of Advent. Let's pray together, and then we'll jump in and, and do some work. Hey, take a second here as we pray and just um, offer, up your own, offer up your own prayer to God of asking Him to help you hear Him today. If you're up for it, ask him to, uh, to recapture your imagination today. Father, I pray that this moment you would attend to us, you would help us. We want to join with Christians all over the world today as they worship. We want to ask this request, would you help us to see Jesus today? Would you help us to bear witness of Jesus today? Um, Jesus, we pray that today you would comfort us. Holy Spirit, we pray today that you would lead us into all truth. Father, we pray today that you would be glorified as we gather and that we would, we would come around you like little children asking, Father, would you say something to us that would break through the chaos of our life? And so would you attend to us now? We offer this prayer and we believe in Jesus' name. We all said, amen, amen. Hey, this last Tuesday, uh, we get together as a staff every Tuesday and uh, have a staff meeting and a bit of sta- training as a staff. And uh, our director of worship and liturgy, Phil, he, uh, he led us in a, a reflection, kind of a devotion over um, the season of Advent as a, as a staff. And just to be honest, I, I've been walking through the last few weeks um, a bit distracted and not as attentive to the things uh, of, of my faith and not as attentive to my, even my heart as, at a devotional level as I, as I want to be, you know. I think I've been checking the boxes and I've been doing the stuff, but like I haven't felt as alive as I want to feel. 
in those ways. And God just used Tuesday and, and the things that Phil brought to our team just to, just to wake up my heart again. And all week long after, after that, I was, it was, I was thinking on things different. I was praying different. And I was just aware and different. And it drew my mind back to uh, a song that we sing, one of my favorite songs that we sing, Praise the Lord Almighty, uh, an old hymn written in 1680. And there's a line in that song that's one of my favorite lyrics of anything that we sing. And it says this, Ponder anew what the Almighty can do if with his love he would befriend thee. Ponder anew. Dream again. Consider again. Let your mind go crazy a bit, right? Ponder anew what not just anyone, but the Almighty, what, what he could do. Not if he just became your friend, but if he became your friend with love with closeness, with tenderness. Like, I love that lyric, and I love it for a lot of reasons, primarily because I need it. I need that song. I need that particular lyric, but I need it to remind me that my life of faith isn't a life that's constantly sort of hedging my bets. And here's what I mean by that, right? Like, no matter how long you've been a Christian, no matter how mature you are in the faith, you, have, you find yourself in different seasons, different stretches of life, different circumstances, coming back to the same old questions. Does God really care? Does he really care? Does God really hear my prayers? Does he, does he really listen to me? Is he really near? Will God help me, right? And sometimes we come to those questions, those sort of questions of crisis, and maybe we come to them believing, and we believe that, yes, God will help, and yes, God does listen, and, and yes, God does care, and he is near. We believe that for all kinds of people, but then somehow what we believe for other people, we struggle to believe for ourselves. Yes, God is these things, and yes, God does work in these ways, but will he do so for me in my situation, right? And I don't think I'm alone in this, but sometimes it feels like the life of faith is on the one hand, walking and believing and trusting in God, and on the other hand, just trying to protect yourself from what sometimes we fear of divine disappointment. That like, yes, I'm gonna believe, I'm gonna walk in the life of faith, but I, I'm worried that God might not come through for me. And so instead of having to face that, I'll just sort of believe and sort of hedge my bets and get my own back, right? In the midst of our clumsy walk of faith, my own clumsy walk of faith, sometimes we get these rays of light that God shines through to wake us up again. And that's what that lyric of that song is for me. You don't have to hedge your bets. You don't have to protect yourself against divine disappointment. Hey, ponder anew what the Almighty could do if with his love he would befriend thee. I open with that this morning because there's an invitation for us all to consider in that line the story of Scripture again. There's an invitation for us to consider the truth of Christmas and what's happening here. And in the theme of that lyric is the heart of the passage we're looking at this morning in Matthew chapter 1. We're going to work through several parts of these verses, but I want us to zoom in on the phrase at the end of this passage in verse 23, and it says, They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us, right? And the first thing I want us to see in this passage is that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. That may seem obvious enough off the top, but the telling of this birth from Matthew's gospel in the opening chapter is drenched with divine language. This is not the birth of just anyone else. This is a unique one. Four different times in this passage we're given signals that this birth is different. So it opens in verse 18. And we're told that Mary, she's engaged to Joseph. They're not yet married. They're engaged. They, they haven't known each other in those sort of intimate ways of marriage. And yet she's now going to bear a child. She's pregnant. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit. So this pregnancy is a miracle in of itself, right? And we're told it's with divine language, with divine working. It's God the Holy Spirit present here. 
In verse 20, Joseph is met with a bit of conflict with all of this. Hey, this isn't going to be a good look in the city. People are going to think some things about us of ill repute. People are going to think some things about this. How did we get pregnant here? What's going on? They're not going to believe this is a God's doing. So he's thinking about how do I divorce her quietly? But then, drenched in divine language, this is all different. He's met by an angel and he's given a dream and the angel speaks to him. Verse 21, we're told the angel confirms that this child is one who's going to deliver us. He's going to bring salvation from our sins. And that's different because that's only something God can do. That's only something God, no, we can't deal with our sins. We can attempt, we can try to cover up and cover over and atone, but only God can really deal with sins. And then in verses 22 to 23, all this points back to the Holy Scriptures and the word of the prophet 700 years before the birth. This announcement of this birth is drenched in divine language. And this might seem obvious enough in our own sense of familiarity here in the Bible Belt, but this is God's story. These are the truths we're given to rehearse. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Consider how significant this is with me. So this is coming from Matthew's gospel. This is his testimony. He's a Jewish man, a former tax collector, and he's confessing here that Jesus is God. You roll over to John's gospel, another Jewish man, and his gospel opens with these words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then he goes down to say that the, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And no one has ever seen God, but the only God, the Son of God, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. John, another Jewish man, is saying, Jesus is God. You move from there and you have Peter, the Apostle Peter, right? Jewish nationalist, a Jewish zealot, zealous for his people and their own place and sort of national politics. Follower of Jesus, he's going to say in his letter to persecuted Christians in 1 Peter that Jesus is the Messiah that was known before the foundation of the world. So you have Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and Peter's going to say that he was the Messiah of God before, in God's mind, the plan of redemption before Genesis 1-1 foreknown before the foundation of the world. And he's saying the only way we know God is through Jesus. Our faith is in God because of him. You move on down from there and you have the Apostle Paul, part of the ruling Jewish religious party, the Pharisees. And in his letter to the church at Colossae, he's going to say the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. Why am I making a point of all these Jews confessing Jesus as God? Why? Because Jews had a category for God using people, men and women, to bring his purposes into the world. They had a category for that. Even the context of Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 7 that there's going to be a virgin that's going to conceive and give birth and we'll call his name Emmanuel. That was in the context of the Israel sort of nation state where they were talking about political military conquest. They're imagining there's going to come one who's going to bring about political renewal and he's going to do so in a way that's going to help us experience the nearness of God so much so that we'll even call this one sort of like his trademark is going to be Emmanuel, that he helped us experience the nearness of God. But they didn't have a concept for a God-man. They didn't have a concept for God becoming a man. They were a radically monotheistic people. Even the primary Jewish confession is, Hero Israel, the Lord of your God is one. And so for them to confess all of a sudden that Jesus, this man out of Bethlehem, Nazareth, and Galilee, that is God, something crazy had to happen. They didn't have a category for God coming like this. Fully and truly God, fully and truly man, but through the word of the prophet, the birth of Jesus, 
the life of Jesus, people's personal experience of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus. This testimony is confirmed, this life-altering, paradigm-shifting confession. Jesus is God and everything that it means to be God. And so we remind ourselves of this reality because this holiday isn't just a celebration of someone noble that was born. This isn't just a celebration of sentimentality and nativity scenes. This isn't just about sprinkling religion onto the end of the year and doing something right. Like this is, in fact, the the historic sort of Christian liturgical calendar says that Advent is the beginning of the year, right? Like it's the end of our calendar year, but it's the beginning of the Christian worship story. Why? Because it's the inbreaking of God and we understand our smaller stories because we're captured into his larger S story. And so Jesus being fully God, truly man, it's the testimony of Scripture. It's an essential part of the confession of the church throughout history. It's even a part of the Apostles' Creed, which we recited last week. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Words right from Matthew chapter 1, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Jesus is God. The second thing I want you to see is that he's God with, with us. Emphasis on the with. Pick up with me in verse 22. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God is communicating something in every detail and in every aspect of the arrival of Jesus. He's saying something to us about what he's like. He's saying something to us about who he is, what he wants, what he loves, what he's come to do. So that Jesus is Emmanuel meets us precisely at the point of those questions of longing. Does God really care? Is God near? Does God really hear my prayers? Will God really help me? The answer to all of those questions that you and I ask time and again, situation to situation, the answer to those questions is yes. How is it yes? Because Emmanuel, this inbreaking, this arrival means God with us. Emmanuel tells us something of the nearness of God despite what our feelings tell us. Your feelings are probably like my feelings. They go up and down. They take a sharp right turn in a given moment. And they tell me all sorts of things about God's nearness or lack thereof. I might feel like he's near, but I might not. Do my feelings dictate what's true? Then the inbreaking of this, of this perfect word, Emmanuel, God with us, not your feelings, what God says is true, right? It tells us something about the nearness of God. It tells us something about what he really means for the relationship that he's calling us into. The fact that he's with, emphasis on with us, means this is not a long distance relationship. The relationship God's calling us to means that it's not, it's not some sort of relationship that's one-sided where we're just supposed to believe and we're supposed to give our hearts to God and he just gives authoritative words. It's actually a relationship of understanding. Because he came to be with us means that literally in everything in your life, pain, sorrow, and all of your joys, because he came to be with us, he's able to say, I understand. When you pour out your heart, God your Father, because of the work of God the Son, the testimony of faith you have to pray those prayers by God the Holy Spirit, 
he's able to respond back and say, I know, I understand. And so this week it, it blew my mind to think about the fact that what God wants us to know about him, the first glance that he gives us. He's communicating at every level something about who he is and what he's like through the arrival of Jesus. And the first glance he gives us of himself is that of an infant gasping for air. That's our first glance at him. That's the first portrait we're given of him. First impressions are significant. We all know that. God knows that. So you think about all through the Old Testament we read that one glimpse of God, if we were to actually see God in any way in all his holiness, it would overwhelm us to the point of death. And so Moses never got to see God, but when he went up on that mountain, he was in the presence of God such that when he came back down from the mountain, the people of God said, hey, can you put some sort of veil over your face? Can you put some sort of cover? Um, we can't handle the secondhand Shekinah. He didn't actually see God in full glory, but he was around God enough that his glory rubbed off on him and the people said, hey, we can't even handle who you were near. Can you cover your face? It's too much for us. And then later on, Moses asked God, can I actually see your face? And, Moses, and God says back to Moses, you can't. It would, it would be too much for you, so I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and then I'll take my hand off of you and I'll let you see my back. <laughs> right? So no one had ever seen God. And we read this all through the Old Testament. We can't handle the vision of God. Yet in the New Testament, we get the invisible becoming visible. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Let it blow your mind that the first sight of the God we've never seen, when he lets us lay eyes on him, it's of an infant crying in a manger. He condescends that we could handle it, but he, he lets us see it in such a, such a fragile, vulnerable way. We could literally spend our entire life exploring all the depth of what's going on that our first glimpse of God is of a baby crying in a manger. Mary and Joseph didn't live in a world like ours where you kind of have constant image capture, just taking pictures of your kids all the time. But can you imagine the pictures they would have had of baby Jesus? Can you imagine the iPhone pictures they would have taken of toddler Jesus or elementary Jesus with his backpack on ready to go to school, right? Like this is what it means that God was with us in every sense that it means to be with, right? Growing up among. Yesterday we were at the house and we were putting out Christmas decorations and my son uh, Asa, my youngest, uh, his, his little remote control Christmas ornament was broken and so the next thing we know he went upstairs and grabbed his goggles and his drill and he came downstairs to, to fix it. And uh, pictures on the screen of what he was doing. And uh, it was such a great moment that we're like, hey, stay there. we got to capture this, you know. And I have these pictures of my son and, and pictures of these, of these sweet moments. And then it made me think later as I was getting ready for today, like, can you imagine the kind of pictures they would have had of, of Jesus like that? Pictures of tenderness. Pictures of the preciousness of life as he's with his parents, with his family. The birth of Jesus, Emmanuel, really means that God has joined us in every way that it means to be with us. Consider, he's saying something about coming as a baby. He's saying something about his humility. This is the omnipotent one, the one that holds all power, right? But he's coming and arriving as an infant. He didn't come with organized power plays. He didn't come to strong armies to submit to him and get in line. He came as a baby. The one who holds us, the one that we need to hold us, the one that we want to hold us, God who holds our life together, actually came and showed up being held by us. 
he came to be hugged by us. Like, that, let that just blow your mind for a second. The one who the scriptures call the lifter of our head. Psalm 3 says that he's our shield and our glory. He's the lifter of our head. He actually came to have his own head cradled by his mom and his dad. Let that blow your mind for a minute. And what is all this about? What is he trying to say in coming in this kind of fragility? He's coming to say something about, I want to be approachable. I want to be accessible. I, I, I want to, you to have access to me. We always think in terms of us trusting ourselves to a relationship with God. But God coming this way means he entrusted himself to a relationship with us. The fact that he couldn't have even survived if his parents didn't take up his care. Tim Keller talks of the incarnation this way, pastor in New York City. The incarnation, Christmas, it means that God has landed. He's not abandoned us. He's come back, and he hasn't come back as a judge. When he came at Christmas, not when he came at Christmas at least, he didn't come with a sword in his hand just to smite evildoers and smite sinners because if he came with a sword in his hand to smite sinners, there wouldn't be anybody left. We wouldn't be here. He didn't come with a sword in his hand at Christmas. He came to have nails put through his hands. He came to save sinners so someday he can come back and wipe the world clean of all evil and everything that's wrong with it. So Christmas means that God has not abandoned us. God has come back. God has landed. This is Emmanuel, God with us. The final thing I want you to see, though, today, change the emphasis from with to us. Emmanuel doesn't just point to the presence of God it lets us know who he's present with. He's with who? God with who? With us. One of the reasons the show This Is Us rise with popularity is because it was a show that didn't just always end with happy endings, right? It was a show about messy people with a complicated family and just navigating life and trying to explore different moments of both celebration and heartache. And it resonated with people as we watch it because it wasn't so much that our family is just like theirs, but it felt like this is us. This is, this is who we are. Broken, messy, complicated, non-traditional families all over the place. And so it's important to notice who God came to be with. Right before this passage in Matthew chapter one, we're beginning in verse 18 today, but verses one to 17 is everyone's favorite part of the Bible. It's a genealogy. Those are your favorite verses. You have them all memorized. I know it. But the genealogy is the family tree of Jesus, his extended family, where he came from, who he came from, who he's with, a snapshot of the kind of people that came, he came to make his company, the people that he was choosing to identify with because they're, after all, his family tree. And his family tree, you read about it in, Genesis, or in Matthew 1, 1 to 17, there are people of high character, God-fearing people and upright, but there are also others who were liars, serial liars, those who messed around in the family and stole family inheritances. There are adulterers in his family line. There's one who committed adultery and then committed murder to cover up the adultery. There's a prostitute in his family line. There's one sexually abused, and that's just to name a few. You can keep going down through the list. It's not necessarily the most enamoring family tree. And that's the whole point. This is God with us. This is God with people like you and me. You move out from just the family tree and you think about Mary, a young peasant girl, God with us. You think about Joseph, 
a man who was even doubting the whole thing, considering whether or not to divorce this young Mary quietly. God with us, doubting people. Move out to the shepherds and the wise men, the unclean and the stargazing mystics. This is God with us. He's come to be with us. So the point I'm making here is that your story isn't too complicated for God to be with you. Your burdens and insecurities aren't an inconvenience to him. Think about the burdens and insecurities in his own family tree. This is God with us. Your secrets aren't secret to him. Just consider that one. Your secrets aren't secret to him, and he's Emmanuel all the same. He's still with you. Your sin doesn't disqualify you from Emmanuel. Literally, it says he's coming to save his people from their sins. It's why he, your sin is why he showed up. It doesn't disqualify you. It's why he shows up. It's amazing. My greatest fear is being outed someday. You say, outed for what? I don't know. I'm just afraid that I'll be outed and shown to be a fraud and there'll be something exposed about me that would cause people to leave me and probably God to write me off. But the good news of Christmas and the good news of even the family tree is you've already been outed. (laughs) I've already been outed. Everything about me that could be exposed is in plain sight to God. Emmanuel, all the same. God with us. He didn't flinch. He didn't pull back. He didn't retract. This is love come down. And so we come back to those questions. Will God really help me? Does God really care? Does God hear my prayers? Is God near? All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had commanded by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's the answer to those questions. Yes, God will help you. Yes, God is near. Yes, God hears your prayers. Yes, God cares. Ponder anew what the Almighty can do if with his love he befriend thee. I want to end with a few questions just to have you consider these as you leave this week. Where in your life Have you lost faith out of fear that you might be disappointed by God, right? That's a real fear that like, will God come through for me? Will he be there for me? And sometimes the fear that he won't be causes us to lose faith. The question is where where have you lost faith out of fear that God might be a disappointment? Where in your life have you grown calloused and you're no longer affected by Emmanuel, God with us? Just consider the fact that it's not just here at church. Like, it's God with you at lunch today. It's God with you this evening. It's God with you on the commute to work tomorrow. It's God with you at dinner. God with you. In the mundane moments where you're not even thinking of God, God with you while you're cleaning out your inbox and email, right? Where have you grown calloused and no longer affected by Emmanuel? God with you. And the third question is this. Where is God inviting you to open your heart again, or maybe for the first time, to relationship with him? Where is he inviting you to open your heart again? Like that's the whole idea of Emmanuel, approachability, access, relatability. Like I'm coming to actually be with you. This is relationship. 
Where is God inviting you to open your heart again or maybe again for the first time? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for our time together this morning. Thank you for the truth that you're with us. Thank you that we don't have to conjure up your nearness, that we don't have to like get in a frenzy to make you know, your, your nearness more real. Like you're just with us. You declare that. Our feelings don't dictate that. You declare that. And so God, I pray that where we're calloused or where we're unaffected, that you would make our hearts tender again. You'd help us even have renewed imagination to consider what it is to have a shared life with you. God, would you capture our imaginations again this week as we lead up to Christmas morning and celebrate afresh. We offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.